Welcome to the Enter the Bible podcast, uh, where you, wait, what is it? Anything you wanted to know? I totally forgot about it. Uh, you wanted to know about the Bible, but we're afraid to Where you can get answers or reflections. I forgot my normal tagline. All right, here we go. We're going to do it again. Here we go. Welcome to the Enter the Bible podcast, where you can get answers or at least reflections on everything you wanted to know about the Bible, but were afraid to ask. I'm Katie Langston. And I'm Catherine Schifferdecker. And today we have a very special guest, an old friend, uh, Professor Eric Barreto, who uh, was a professor of New Testament here at Luther Seminary and now is uh, the Frederick and Margaret L. Weyerhaeuser Associate Professor of New Testament at Princeton Theological Seminary. So he left Minnesota for New Jersey, but we're just so happy uh, to have him back with us for this podcast. And in fact, Eric was the original host, yeah. co-host with me for this podcast, everything you wanted to know about the Bible, but we're afraid to ask. So uh, welcome back, Eric. We're so oh, happy to have you. So back. glad to be back. Thanks for the invitation and, and glad to see this uh, train still chugging. This is, That's right. This is That's right. We, and, we took and, a break, uh, but we picked it back up. And yeah, listeners could go back in our archives and there's lots of awesome conversations with Eric and Catherine and Cameron Howard and some others. Yeah. 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 So good. Good to have you. Uh, I should also mention that uh, Eric uh, has is the author and uh, and editor of a number of books uh, related to our topics here. He co-wrote a book with uh, Professor Michael Chan called Exploring the Bible. So it's a kind of introduction to a biblical study in the Bible itself. So uh, check that out. And he's working on a commentary on the book of Luke. So uh, Eric spends a lot of time in the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. Uh, and so we're gonna spend some time there uh, in both of those books today as well, uh, along with some others. So uh, again, glad to have you, Eric. Yeah, thanks y'all. Um, so we had a listener question uh, that uh, we wanted to address. Um, what does it mean to be praying in the Holy Spirit, uh, according to scripture? And then more generally, what can we learn about prayer from the Bible? So uh, before we started recording, we were talking about various texts that, um, that, that kind of pertain to this question. And I uh, thought, for instance, of uh, in a number of the gospels, we have this question almost exactly from the disciples, right, to Jesus. Um, and in, in Luke, uh, it appears in chapter 11, uh, and we know that Jesus was given to prayer. He liked to go away and pray in quiet places. Uh, so it says in, in Luke 11, he was praying in a certain place, and after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And then he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come give us each day our daily bread, et cetera, et cetera. So he teaches them the Lord's prayer. So um, what does Jesus teach us about, it, uh, or what does the Bible teach us about prayer? Yeah. How would you? It's uh, such a big question, right? Because it implicates questions about our agency and the way that God acts in the world. And how can we tell the difference between the things mm -hmm. that we do and the things that we're God, that God is doing? How do we except when we ask for one thing, but we receive another, when we ask for something and the answer seems to be no. And so it's a big, hairy, complicated place to be. Um, I will say, I grew up in a, <clears throat> in a church where we did not pray, like pray the Lord's prayer as a regular practice. 
And I remember as a kid reading, I think it was in Matthew's version. I, this is how I knew I was going to be a Bible scholar because I was reading this stuff and I was like, huh, I should memorize this because Jesus <laughs> said you should pray. So uh, they ask in Luke 11, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And I wonder if one thing we might be aware of in this that might help us start the conversation is I don't think they're asking for particular words, as important as these words are, and as valuable as they become in my own faith tradition and in my own daily walk with Jesus. I think they're asking a, a deeper question as well is about the kind of posture we should have, um, how we should understand how God listens to us and how God will respond to our prayers. So I think that that's behind this as well, because not just certainly have the words and we can talk more about the content of the prayer. But right after this is this parable that I think um, helps illuminate the reason that they're asking for help with their prayer. Uh, the story that Jesus tells is, is of this persistent friend. So uh, uh, Jesus says, this is uh, chapter 11, verse five, suppose one of you has a friend and you go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread for a friend of mine has arrived and I have nothing set before him, which is just the strangest, like the, the house of ludicrous this scene is. It's the middle of the night, you're asleep, your whole family's asleep, and your neighbor, who's a friend apparently, like wants bread because a friend just, it just doesn't, it, there's something ludicrous yes. about this scene. <clears throat> and so verse seven, and he answers from within, do not bother me. The door has already been locked. My children are with me in bed. I cannot up, get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. And there's a lot of debate among Luke scholars about what's happening here. Is this, okay, he's my friend. And although I'm in bed and I'm comfortable and I'm warm, I'm going to get up and help him because he's my friend. Or is the persistence more, he's going to keep on knocking and he's going to keep on screaming. And my neighbors are going to hear about this as well. And so this is a matter of shame involved mm. in this. Mm. So he says, Jesus then says, ask and it will be given you, search and you will find, knock, um, and the door will be opened. So is this telling us something about God's attitude toward our prayers, that God is this friend at midnight who's annoyed by our, by our constant request? <laughs> I don't think that's what Jesus <laughs> But to say that kind of persistence, that kind of asking is one that's a part and parcel of what it means to pray, to mm. believe, to persist, to know that something else is possible because of who God is. Because God is not like that friend, warm and comfortable in bed, who's gonna get out just so you don't annoy the neighbors. God's love is extravagant and beyond that. So there's something much more that we'll find uh, a God, much more than what we'll find at the, the house of a friend at midnight because some friend showed up when we least expected it. Well, and the and the the passage goes on, I think, to to emphasize just what you're saying, Eric, right? Uh, um, is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, will give right. a snake instead mm -hmm. of a fish? Or if a child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more Will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him, right? So God is more than the, yeah, just as you said, the, right? God's God love is, is more than the annoyed neighbor, right? Yeah. <laughs> God is more than the annoyed neighbor. Yeah. 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 So there's something about prayer that needs to be persistent, but also has in mind the character of the God that we're praying to. And that's oh, yeah. a, a God who is generous 
and giving and back to the prayer one one who is has a kingdom a reign that is coming into our midst one that provides our everyday needs our daily and bread and one whose forgiveness is uh <clears throat> is ours but also reverberates in our lives uh to others as well yeah 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 the, uh, I've, I've heard this analogy, you know, the, uh, uh, we, we shouldn't treat God like a vending machine, right? right? Like there are some, uh, what is the one, the prayer of Jabez? Yes. Thank you. The prayer of Jabez, right. With from this obscure verse, I think in first Chronicles or somewhere, right. That, that if you pray a certain formula, right. If you pray these certain words or believe in a certain way, then you'll get what you want. That's not the kind of, that's not how scripture teaches us yeah. to pray, right? It's not like you, you put in exactly the right words or the right coins and then the vending machine gives you, you know, exactly what you want. So mm -hmm. it, it, at the same time, it, uh, scripture, I think, does tell us to pray. I mean, over and over again, we're urged yeah. to pray and in a way that is persistent, you know, and whether that's for our benefit or for God's or, or, you know, or whether God needs persistence, it doesn't, you know, that's, it's not completely clear, but it does seem like we, as we pray, we need to be, you know, persistent in prayer, uh, never stop praying, I think Paul says uh, somewhere, right? No, I think that's right. And I think we get some clues about that, I think, in the content of the, of the version of the Lord's Prayer that we get in the Gospel of Luke as well. Because part of what the prayer is doing here is, yes, asking God for something, for daily bread, for forgiveness, and forgiveness that reverberates beyond us, for escaping the time of trial. But I wonder, too, if prayer then is also an act of shaping our own imagination. So it's mm -hmm. when, we, when we turn to God with our deepest hopes and our deepest needs and our deepest wants, that we too might find ourselves transformed. So here I'm thinking in particular this, this prayer, give us each day our daily bread, and in the context in which Jesus is articulating this prayer, that that prayer, that part of the prayer is not, um, it's not really metaphorical for so many people in the ancient world and for so many people mm. still today. Correct. That it's a little hard for us with big pantries and Costco-sized stuff in our houses. It's hard to imagine daily bread because it's, there's always a little bit extra. There's always more. But if you're working today for the food that you will eat tomorrow, this prayer, give us each day our daily bread, is not resignation that I'm just going to sit around and, and bread is going to show up, uh, nor is it a demand. It is this firm conviction that despite the, short, the, the, the shortages that lots of people around the world face and the, the famine that they face and the uncertainty about bread the next day, it's this way to shape the world and say daily bread is a possibility at the feet of a God who cares for us. Hmm. It's a reorientation of the world. Or even the, the phrase, your kingdom come, maybe resonates differently in the ears of those suffering under imperial rule, hmm. as opposed to many of us who largely, in many ways, benefit from uh, kind of the, the, the rule of contemporary empires. Hmm. Your kingdom come is this imagination, I think in this context, that the Roman Empire will one day be no more and God's reign will be. And to imagine that something as big and powerful and as widespread as the Roman Empire would not be anymore is itself an act of faith. So yeah, I think we're asking things of God, 
But in the process of asking for those things we most think we need and want, maybe it's that moment where we're, our imaginations are transformed about what the world is actually like um, and what we, what, um, you know, what we can ask for, what we can demand of God, what we can expect from yeah. God. And then, but also then what it means for us to treat our neighbors because yeah. there's forgive us our sins. There's this plea, but that vertical plea for forgiveness then extends to our neighbors as well for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. Well, that's, beautiful. that's beautiful. Yeah, that is. That's, that is very beautiful. Um, and it, it kind of makes me think about, um, you know, the, the text in Romans 8, Eric, when you're talking about the, the, the imagination being expanded mm-hmm. uh, in and through prayer. Um, and sometimes I think, you know, um, it, maybe it has a little bit to do as well with the persistence of prayer that at a certain point as the imagination is being expanded and at a certain point as you're kind of entering into this um, truer reality, right, that, that you're working out in prayer, uh, you maybe don't know what exactly to pray, <laughs> you know, and, and Paul talks about that in Romans when he says, uh, Romans 8 verses 26, in the same way the spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the spirit himself intercedes for us. Uh, and I'm looking at the NIV, it says through wordless groans, mm-hmm. um, And I think, you know, (laughs) there's an element there kind of getting back to the question uh, that that our listener asked about what does it mean to pray in the spirit? And it kind of, I think, to a certain extent means to turn over your prayer to God. Um, And um, there's a there's a formula here that I think is really beautiful. Um, Sarah Coakley talks about this uh, in her book. God, Sexuality, and the Self, uh, an essay on the Trinity. It's a beautiful book. I would highly recommend it. Um, And in it, she talks about how this type of prayer, the prayer where you don't know what to pray, actually incorporates you into the life of God, that in prayer somehow it's, uh, it's a mystical kind of union in which God, the Spirit, prays through you to God the Father in order to conform you into the image of God the Son, um, which I think is just a very beautiful way to think about and imagine prayer. Um, And that, you know, (laughs) that in the persistence and in the reshaping of our imagination and in the not knowing we're caught up into the life of God in prayer. yeah, I think that's really, really powerful. And it, it just as you were talking, uh, it made me think too about the tension of these two texts. So I think mm-hmm. these were the first places we went. But in one text, we're told what words to say here's, and with what, what posture, pray. right? Yeah. Perseverance, persistence. Yeah. And then Paul, who I imagine probably knows the Lord's Prayer. So we don't we don't often know all the things that Paul knows, but let's presume for now that he that that part of the tradition is one that he's known. So it's not, he's not speaking out of ignorance. I think he is saying something that's in tension in the New Testament, but that tension can be very productive for us. We have the words, we have the posture, and yet we know that prayer is not something that we do out of effort, something that we do with the Spirit's intervention and the Spirit's help. I know sometimes, um, you know, when friends 
um, asked me to pray for them, especially when they're going through hard things, it's sometimes hard to know what to ask for exactly. Do we ask for the situation to go away, for people to get better? Do we ask for peace in the midst? You know, when, when things don't have any result, but terrible results, we kind of see that that's coming. What do we pray for in that moment? Do we pray for comfort? And I hear Paul here saying, sometimes it's okay to live in that doubt and that uncertainty in that not knowing what to say, because prayer isn't about us. It's about the spirit who shows up in the midst of our often fragile attempts to articulate what it is that we think we need and how it is that we think God is moving in our midst. I think about you're right. There is a there is a tension between these two texts in one way. There, there's obviously some uh, parallels too, and I'm I'm looking just a few verses earlier in Romans eight. So I'm looking at um, let's see what verse six uh, fifteen uh, and sixteen. Uh, so Paul writes, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of, of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Okay. So the, you know, our Father in heaven, Abba, Father, that, so he, I didn't look at the Greek, but Eric, right, uh, I've heard, we've all heard the sermon, right, that Abba is like daddy, or yeah. is that, is that true? Is that the case? Uh, often right disputed, but there is this sense of like familial intimacy that's invoked there, whether with Abba or the language of father, like there is, this isn't a distant God who we cannot know. It's a God who is around us and who's nurtured us even before we were, we even knew how to articulate or breathe or how to talk, yeah. right? Our father is always with us. Yeah. 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 It is. Uh, I, I mean, it's Aramaic and Hebrew Abba. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. I don't know if daddy is quite the right word, but it is a, as you say, a kind of intimacy. Yeah. It's certainly establishing a relate or claiming yeah. a relationship, right? Sure. This isn't just, this isn't just the God of the cosmos, the creator of heaven and earth. Yeah. He, God is that obviously, but also this is God as father. This is God, uh, you know, this, this in relationship. Yeah, God here. Yeah, God, uh, God in relationship who desires to be in relationship and who, in fact, has adopted us as, as Paul says, as joint heirs with Christ, children, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. I think so, this clarification is really important because the, the prayer that Paul's describing in 26 is precisely of a person who's been reborn right. by Christ, who is no longer bound to capital S sin and capital D death. We've been delivered from that. We live in the reign of Christ. And even within that reign of Christ, even with that new life already coursing within our veins, sometimes we don't know what to say. We don't know what to do. We don't know what to make of it. And what comes right after this text in eight, I think is important for us to maybe mention here. So 828, we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to God's purpose is one of those texts that people love to misuse, right? Because if, <laughs> you know, it's all going to be okay or right, right, right. explain away right. without remembering what Paul just said earlier, that sometimes we don't know what to say, that sometimes the best thing to say, the best thing to pray is nothing, to let the spirit do that work, to let the spirit speak before our mouths get in the way of coming to wrestle with the, the depths of the grace of God and the justice, justice of God in our midst. 
Yeah. 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 Saying that everything, uh, all things work together for good is not to say that everything is good or right. that everything happens for a reason, right? There are right. some things that there are some things that happen because of human sin and oppression and lots of things that happen that way that God doesn't will, <laughs> but that God can work with uh, even bad things to bring forth life. Uh, sure. but, yeah. And maybe the nearness of God is important here, right? As a God who accompanies us in those sufferings, who walks with us in our sufferings, because in Jesus, God, God's self, experience them so these are not foreign to god right 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 right. well there's obviously a lot more that we could say about prayer uh and and the holy spirit's role in prayer and we've just kind of you know skimmed the surface but uh hopefully this uh inspires our listeners uh those of you listening to to dive into these texts yourself and to uh to learn more about prayer and even more so to pray right i think I think, you know, one thing the Bible teaches us about prayer is just, just do it, right? Uh, to, to just pray, uh, pray directly to God, even if you don't know what to say. And that's where, you know, scripture itself can help as well. The Psalms are the prayer book of, of the Bible. The Lord's Prayer, obviously, is a, is a good prayer to pray, as you learned as a young Baptist, Eric. <laughs> um, you know, the, so yeah, just, uh, just pray uh, and, uh, and see where it leads you. I guess that would be our final word. But thank you, Eric, uh, for your wisdom on this, on this question. Uh, thanks to the, our listeners for listening to this episode of the Enter the Bible podcast. You can get uh, courses, commentaries, resources, videos, and other reflections uh, at enterthebible.org. Be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcast app uh, and share the podcast with a friend. Thanks for joining us. And thank you, Eric, again.